Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well... That's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello and welcome to Bar Humbug, a podcast about the cuddliest of all movie genres, the Christmas movie. My name is Helen O'Hara, and I'm bringing this episode to you live from the sea of swirly-twirly gumdrops. That's because today we're going to be talking about Godmothered, which is new this year on Disney+, and contrasting that with 2003's Elf. So will this new contender soon be joining the ranks of the Christmas classics, or will it explode like a misenchanted pumpkin? Well, with me to to find out are two of the world's greatest Christmas movie experts, two women who make the rest of us look like cotton-headed ninny muggins. Uh, First up, I'm delighted to welcome back Kat Brown, journalist extraordinaire and recent dog mother. So it was basically a slight typo that made me think she'd be perfect for this one. Hello, Kat. Slay hey hey, Helen. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, we're also delighted to be joined by screenwriter and showrunner Kate Heron, of, of course, sex education fame, and now working on Marvel's upcoming Loki limited series. Now, I believe you can answer all my questions about that as long as my (laughs) questions are, does it exist and is it out in May? Yes, that's all I'm allowed to say. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and I should say, I'm on Loki. I'm I'm just directing that. Right. Um, Yeah. Yeah, just to clarify. But yeah, but it's I May and that's that's literally that's all I can say. <laughs> that's amazing. God, there's no. something for us to look forward to at last. <laughs> yes. It's been it's been so long without a Marvel release. I've I've got the shakes, you know, it's like it's 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 a real problem. And we've obviously got WandaVision and, and Falcon and the Winter Soldier, mm-hmm. so that will kind of vaccinate us, if you will, against the <laughs> lack of Marvel and uh, and keep us keep us ticking along. But yeah. it is very exciting. I mean, I we met uh, I've met um Tom Hiddleston a few times back in the day, you know, when he was first doing Loki, I think. Um, has he become a monster now that he is, you know, leading his own TV show and not just a supporting player? Is he now just difficult, <laughs> like asking for only sky blue M&Ms, that kind of thing? <laughs> no, he's a delight. Just a really <laughs> lovely man. <laughs> yeah. yeah, well, that's yeah. pretty much how he was. Uh, so no change there, then. That's disappointingly non-scandalous, my goodness. Um, okay, so before we get into these two films... Like, what's your attitude to Christmas movies as a whole? Are you guys, are you an elf or more of a Grinch? I think, Kat, you've answered this before, but but Kate, how about you? I'm definitely an elf. I love Christmas movies. Um, yeah, I just, I think because it's always at the end of the year, right? I think everyone's quite tired and particularly this year, like something mm-hmm. with a bit of heart and warmth to it. No, I'm definitely an elf. Like, I love Christmas and I love all of it. I love the the heart in the films. But I also love the, the terrible commercial side, like putting up my tree and going to a giant department store and all that kind of stuff. So no, I'm definitely an elf, 100%. Yeah, department stores are great at Christmas. Like they're just, you know, fun to wander around. 
And, you know, what are your favourites, the two of you? What, what's, what's the Christmas movie that you go back to if you could only pick one? That's really unfair, but... I probably would say Gremlins is my favourite, but that's oh. an all year round favourite for me. True. Like I, yeah. I just love that movie. Um, yeah, I mean, I adore it. But I also do, in, in terms of like the more, I guess, because Gremlins I do associate with Christmas, but I can watch that any day of the year. But I do also love Home Alone. That's like one of my favourites growing up. And I just, yeah, I just think that's a excellent film. Fair enough. Kat, how about you? I don't know if we well, discussed this last time. So we sort of discussed it last time, but I think crucially, the most Christmassy film for me is also one that I haven't yet seen, but which I'm going to do this year because 2020 needs a lift. Mm. Um, and that is Die Hard, the Christmassiest non-Christmas film ever. Still never seen Die Hard. No idea Wait, how it's happened. I'm sorry. We've been friends now for a long time, Kat. How have I allowed this situation to happen? To I feel fair, like Helen, I've... I think I have pointed this out to you before and you have made absolutely no inroads into <gasps> correcting this terrible gap in my movie knowledge. I but, am um, But I'm shocked. going to do it. I'm going to do it, goddammit, because I cannot for the life of me use the excuse of watching Last Holiday for a 54th time. And conveniently, <laughs> I've, al- I've already had my Last Holiday viewing for 2020. So uh, everything is open and, and ready to play for and other mm. sporting th- the comments Metaphors, that yeah. do not fit. Exactly. <laughs> Oh, I've I've seen The Holiday and Last Holiday in the last couple of weeks, so I'm doing quite well. I'm, I'm all God. up on my holidays, except for literally, <laughs> um, which means which feels like I'll never see a holiday again. <sighs> um, but yeah, Die Hard. I mean, I can't believe you haven't seen Die Hard. I mean, the the, the debates have already taken over again in the media this week. I was asked to comment on the apparent controversy of whether Die Hard is a Christmas movie. And I'm like, are we are we still? Is this still happening? But this is, uh, going back to your point about how people feel around Christmas, I think at this time of year anyway, and regardless particularly of the year that we have, everybody's brain turns to porridge in the run up to Christmas. You know, last mm-hmm. half of December, nobody can string a sentence together except to maybe go, we wish you a Merry Christmas and can I have a quality street? And it just feels like, thank goodness, that is the kind of discourse, that is the level of discourse that we should expect to achieve at this time of year. And mm. uh, I'm, I'm all there for it. Yeah, yeah, that's about right. I feel like if you've got your quality street or like if I'm if I'm in America around uh, Christmas time, I would usually be buying the color coded M&Ms. They have like Christmas colored M&Ms, which are just the best as far as I'm concerned. I mean, Kate, have you been stocking up while you're there or are you just craving English food at this point? (laughs) My mum actually posted me a box of after eights because my Christmas tradition (laughs) is honestly like eating an entire box. (laughs) Like it was a solid. Yeah. (laughs) Do you play the after eight game as well, Kate? No, I don't know what that is. So you take an after eight chocolate and you basically, you sort of balance it on your forehead and then you have to try and get it into your mouth. Oh. Oh. And you can also do other things involving the wrappers as well. Um, But that, I mean, that is basically (laughs) it for the, you basically just have to wrinkle your forehead. So this this does strike me as a game that would perhaps be less successful in LA or anywhere else that uh, Botox (laughs) is popular. Exactly. but yeah, amazing. And it does make those delicious, thin, nostalgic slices of extremely minty goodness. Just go that little bit further. But but what if like something happened to the chocolate and it didn't reach your mouth? Like that just it it sounds stressful immediately. I'm genuinely a little bit like no, I but say, I might on, not. In my experience catch it. of playing this game, you instantly harness the face moving skills of a Labrador. And I've never seen anybody whose chocolate has dropped who hasn't somehow done something incredibly improbable with their shoulders and just gone numb and got it. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, that's that's reassuring. Thank you. Yes. 
Okay, so look, we're, let's talk about these two films. So I'm just going to set them up with a little bit of a plot synopsis. We will be spoiling both films. There will be spoilers here for both of these films. So if you haven't watched them and you're worried about spoilers, please do go away, watch them, and then come back to us, okay? So um, so first of all, Godmothered uh, is new this year. It comes from director Sharon Maguire and stars Gillian Bell as Eleanor Faye Bloomingbottom who has always dreamed of being a fairy godmother. And she's grown up in the motherland, the home of the fairy godmothers, and gone to Fairy Godmother Academy to learn their ways. But the world has, of course, moved on. And the fairy godmother uh, program, I guess, is going to be shut down until Eleanor finds one unanswered letter from a little girl called Mackenzie and heads off to the real world Boston to make her wishes come true. Sadly for her, she gets there a little bit late, so Mackenzie is now an adult mother of two, played by Isla Fisher, and her problems cannot be solved by a fancy ball gown and a pumpkin coach. So Eleanor has, is going to have her work cut out. And we thought we'd contrast this, or I thought we'd contrast this, with Elf, which is, of course, the 2003 classic from director John the Mandalorian Favreau. Uh, and we won't be spoiling that either, but oh my God. Um, <laughs> it stars Will Ferrell as Buddy, who's a human raised by elves at the North Pole, who comes to New York looking for his long-lost dad, Walter, played by James Caan. Walter, however, is a grinchy guy who is on the naughty list, so bonding with him won't be easy for the irrepressibly cheery buddy. Uh, and there's an even greater challenge to come when Santa's sled crashes in Central Park. So my reasoning for putting these two together was basically naive out of Tyner comes to the big city, helps a family out around Christmas time. There's some kind of magic involved and there are very fancy outfits. That's all I got. I would say those are excellent bases to start with, Helen. <laughs> yeah. At this time of year, you can have tenuous, and and that was where. Actually, watching these films, I was really surprised by the more like niggly, incredibly specific overlaps as well. Mm-hmm. So obviously, Buddy's sort of famous swear, if you like, is "son of a nutcracker," and you've got Eleanor Eleanor mm-hmm. going "son of a butterscotch," which is mm. less good, but also extremely similar. Um, <laughs> also, as mentioned at the top, um, I have indeed just taken delivery of my own. Uh, beautiful little Christmas fairy uh, who is Sybil, a little golden retriever from oh. uh, the charity Serbia's Forgotten Paws, um, which obviously is the most adorably cute name for a charity ever. Um, but I also discovered that Godmothered and Elf both contain raccoons. And I discovered this when it became incredibly clear that Sybil does not care for raccoons. And uh, <laughs> I basically, we got through it in Godmothered because I think Gary, the sort of slightly sentient, decorative <laughs> and decorating raccoon, was a bit more on the quiet side, but she really got extremely upset and told me in no uncertain terms that she did not care for the raccoon in Central Park who attacked Buddy, <laughs> the elf in Elf. And in fact, I just had to turn it off and try it again today when she was distracted by when she a was bone. The room. Exactly. <laughs> Poor Sybil. It's not easy being a dog in a new house. And <laughs> uh, what kind of dog? You have a dog as well, don't you, Kate? I think I'm the old one out here. Yeah, so I ended up taking care of my uh, a friend of mine lent me one of one of her dogs in lockdown, uh, Potato. But I ended Good up name. having him for obviously a while <laughs> in lockdown. <laughs> and um, yeah, but he, she was taking care of him, and then she was like, "Do you want to keep him?" And I was like, "I'd love to." So yes, oh. I'm recently now. He's like a Chihuahua Beagle mix, we think. Um, oh, small and cute. Yeah, she Angel. rescued him, so we're not sure, but yeah, but he's a very cute little guy. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. D- does he have strong feelings about raccoons as well, or was that okay? No, he he loves to sleep, and he was fast asleep while I was watching these movies. <laughs> so I've been trying to get a response out of him, but he just doesn't seem that into the TV. But um, 
But I did notice that similarity as well. I mm. was like, oh, that's interesting. The Christmas animal. <laughs> like, uh, but I, uh, I, I thought it was, yeah, because obviously in, in um, Elf, he's like, it's a very Larry raccoon that he meets in the park, mm. whereas Gary's quite help, well, reasonably helpful. He sweeps, right, in the kitchen. Yeah. So he's, I mean, it's a star. Yeah. You know, I'll take, I'll take yeah. any kind of household help <laughs> I can get from any animals that are willing to, uh, to contribute, really. Um, there was one other similarity that I forgot to mention, which mm. is um, characters with a fear of singing. Yeah. In, in Elf, yes. it's Jovi, who has a fear of singing in public. Side note, I recently met a golden retriever called Jovi because the owner's wife adored John Bon Jovi quite so much. Uh, both That's got good. beautiful, plumy, feathery mullets. Excellent. Um, <laughs> and, then, and then, of course, the elder daughter in Godmothered mm-hmm. um, wants to sing in show choir, but has a habit of getting stage fright linked to the passing of her father. Um, so those are two very nice things, um, mm. except, of course, in Godmothered, it's sort of seen away with a healthy dose of the, uh, the sound of music singing outside, whereas there's something a bit more festive and Christmassy in Elf. Mm. Yeah, and she doesn't sing a Christmas carol at the end, which actually kind of surprised me um, because yeah. I thought, you know, that would make kind of more of a Christmas link, I guess, to the story. Yeah, I think Godmothered, uh, it's sort of set at Christmas. I'm not necessarily sure how Christmassy it was. And because I am a nerd and cannot stop staring <laughs> at my phone, I noticed my first extreme Christmas reference 49 minutes in when they played <laughs> It's Beginning to Look a Lot Like Christmas as a backing when um, Isla Fisher's character is walking through the park post haircut, post makeover, mm. if you like, and oh, bumps yes. into her Handsome sexy man. colleague um, mm. who's dressed up for a reenactment. Um, in not what what did not look like warm enough clothes, I have to say, for that, for that time of year in Boston. But perhaps he had, I don't know, loads of luni- uh, Uniqlo layers on underneath or something. Uh, yeah, a bit I'm, more I'm sure. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I, I, I have to say, and I, 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 I'm going to repeat myself because I said this, I'd, we'd got an interview with the director also coming up. Sharon McGuire uh, talked to me earlier in the week. And I have to say that the single thing that probably strained my credibility most in this film was not m- magic. Totally fine with that. Fairy Godmothers. Absolutely okay. It was the idea that Santiago Cabrera was meant to be a bit nerdy and not handsome. I was I was a little bit like, are we sure about? Because I don't know. I just felt like somebody just needed to like tizzle his hair a little bit, mm. and we're there. It's the equivalent of the sort of librarian in all the, those old movies, you know, taking off her glasses and shaking out her bun. Like that's but all Helen, that needed. He was wearing. He was indeed wearing glasses, and as we know, all all three of us sitting here <laughs> with our glasses. <laughs> Um, oh, what am I saying? No, glasses is absolutely a signifier of being yeah. you know, hot and, and fabulous and having exactly. perfect eyesight. But no, you're right. I think his his trousers were also just that little bit too fashionable to make him credible <laughs> as a sort of job obsessed nerd. But I mean, we got we got to look at him all the way through the film, and that was I mean, that was lovely. Not not to objectify him, but of course not. But very pleasant. I quite liked it because I think like you know, very handsome man into you know historical cosplay <laughs> I was like great but also Zoe Deschanel you know an elf like she's mm. gorgeous and like and then Buddy arrives and she's like cool yeah I'm into it great I, I kind of felt like it f- fitted in the Christmas spirit <laughs> both of the what? films you know what I mean they were very pure so I that was nice yeah what slightly less um uh, credibility in the love story than one might normally ask for kind of thing maybe I think it's still credible you'd you'd go out with Santiago Cabrera actually 100 yeah. <laughs> percent but but two sets of quite sort of quirky left of field characters which is yeah. really really nice and obviously I, I, watching it again I was just like would Jovi go on a date with this weird guy mm. Mm, I'm not sure but then I think 
as as quotable and wonderful as Elf is, I think I'd actually sort of forgotten one of the nicest lines from the film, which is when they've gone on this completely mad date and they're in the middle of the ice rink and he just randomly in a sort of 12 year old boy way which I guess he he kind of is but an adult um reaches over and kisses her on the cheek and then she says you missed Mm. and that is so lovely Mm. um because I don't know their connection to each other is just so nice and and Mm. yeah as Kate says it is pure it is wonderful and yeah it sort of sums up why Elf is such a lovely film because even Mm. though it is filled filled with cameos from some of like the world's filthiest comedic actors <laughs> um and it and you know it's got references everywhere for if if you want to or care to see it but it is just a lovely honest and really heartfelt film and it really it, it believes in in what it's selling which is wonderful i yeah. would go to the um the world's best coffee shop and i would drink <laughs> that mediocre coffee <laughs> I think that's also what makes them like Christmas films, right? Is that mm. both the love interests are very pure of heart and they're both just nice. They seem like nice people. Yeah, like Hugh Prince do. seems like just a nice guy, just loves his son. Uh, yeah. And I, and something I actually noticed, which I've never noticed before actually watching Elf, so I've got it, I've got notes. <laughs> like, well done. Was a, she has a cladder ring on her right hand. She does? Which means her heart is still open. I never, because I saw her in the shower yeah and I was like that's a cladding and like and I, I I paused it quite a few times and I was like oh it is and the right hand and I thought oh that's so again playing into the pureness and sweetness yeah. of the yeah that's an amazing spot. I had not noticed that. I'm literally oh. wearing a cladder ring right now, just to be clear. So anybody who doesn't know what that is, it's an Irish traditional ring. It's got a, basically a heart being held by two hands with a crown over it for, I think, love, loyalty and friendship. And if you wear it with the heart pointing outwards, it means you're single and it means you're kind of, you know, looking for love or whatever. Um which actually caused problems once for a friend of mine because she just liked it aesthetically with a heart mm. pointing in and was chatting up this guy in a bar. He was chatting her up. There was chatting up being had anyway. <laughs> and um, and then he suddenly went, oh, I'm sorry, and walked away because he'd noticed the ring was the other way around. And and she literally chased after him going, what? What did I say? And, and he was like, well, you're, you've got a boyfriend. And she was like, I don't. I just, I like it that way. Oh, God. <laughs> Anyway, so there you also, go. Clutter good eyesight in. on being able to see that because yeah, well, the clutter ring is not big. <laughs> I think it's because basically I'm a big Buffy fan, so that's why yes. I discovered what they are. Angel and- famously wore one, yeah, and gave yeah. one to Buffy, right? <laughs> yeah. Oh so, my god, that's so, so cute. So that's where I learned what they were, and then, um, but it's mainly because the the shower scene. She brings up her hand, and I, I, I my left and like right, obviously, I don't know them very well, and I thought it was her left hand, and I was like, oh my god, she's married, and I never realised there's this backstory, <laughs> and then I realised, oh wait, no, it's her right hand. But like I said, I was already looking at the ring, and you see it again in like a close up on their date when she picks up the coffee cup, which confirmed to me the cladder ring. So I was just like, oh, that's so lovely. That is- that is an excellent spot. Thank you so much. That is brilliant. I'm going to have to look out for that next time I watch it. Um, another thing, just while we're on the things that are super cute in these films, because there's a lot of super cute things in these films. Mm. In Godmothered, I actually froze, uh, freeze-framed last night on the letter that, um, that Eleanor finds from Mackenzie that she wrote when she was like 10. And she says, obviously, I would like world peace and an end to hunger and the oppression of females. But there is also a boy in my class called Brandon O'Shea. <laughs> and then she goes on to describe him and how wonderful he is and how, how lovely he is. And then finishes her letter with, P.S. If you have time, I would also like a new bicycle. <laughs> <laughs> I just love that. It's like she's trying to do the right thing. She's trying to be a good person. But she also wants a boy to like her and wants a bicycle. And who among us cannot identify with this? 
It's very sort of, it's very nine-year-old Blue Peter vibes, isn't it? Definitely. Um, I think one thing that both films have in common is a really good cast. Even in quite small roles, they have really, really good people. Godmother, let's start with that just because like it opens with June Squibb, which is, I mean, uh, there should be some kind of law that you have to open with June Squibb. That just seems entirely sensible. And you've got Jane Curtin in there who is always flawless. I mean, she's got little tiny gestures, Jane Curtin. Like there's the little twitch of her dress at the end when somebody goes, oh, you know, oh, it's a very pretty dress and somebody admires her dress and she just does a little, oh, th- thanks for noticing. Oh, yeah, well, this whole thing. Oh, it, she's she's amazing. Um, and then obviously Gillian Bell, I'm inclined to like because she starred in Britney Runs a Marathon and I'm a runner myself. And then Isla Fisher, who has not played this mm. kind of role before. She hasn't played this kind of mum role, but she slips into it really comfortably. And also it's, it's a more prickly role than we're used to seeing Isla Fisher playing. Mm. And actually, as soon as she goes to the hairdressers, it's almost as if she suddenly has the prickliness <laughs> rinsed out of her a little bit and she sort of returns a little bit more to sort of the confessions of a shopaholic Isla Fisher that we, we're sort of quite familiar with. Sort of That's sweeter. right, she does look like yeah. that. Uh, and, I mean, I always feel absolutely amazing after having a really, really good blow dry, but sadly <laughs> never looking as amazing as Isla Fisher. Um, but it was it was lovely to sort of see the connection that her character had with her kids and also with her sister as well, mm-hmm. who I can't, the actress's name is on the tip of my tongue, but absolutely fantastic. And yeah. the family dynamic between all all four of them was was really great. Yeah, she was. She's in Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I really love her. Uh, I'm just I'm yeah. I'm, ah, here we go. Mary Elizabeth Ellis. Yeah, there we go. She was cracking. Yeah. I, I just thought it was really great. I mean, one thing I was on the hairdressing scene, by the way, in COVID times, it was like kind of like I, I was into it. I was, you know <laughs> what I mean? Because I've been cutting my hair for so long and I was just like, oh, yeah, man, getting a haircut is great, isn't it? But yeah, so that on a personal level, I was very satisfied watching that scene. Yeah. <laughs> this was also what was kind of fascinating was because they started filming this in January this year. Mm-hmm. And so un- unless they literally managed to do all of their pr- principal photography like fairly soon, mm. they, they must have been affected by by COVID. Yeah, yeah. They shot down. Way. They shot down. I think maybe a week early, something like that. Um, so again, this will be uh, Sharon McGuire will address this in her interview, which is really worth listening to because she was delightful. But um, they had to shut down a little bit early, and that's why you get the little animated bit at the end, oh. um, because especially oh. with older cast members, ladies of a certain age like yeah. June Squibb and uh, yeah. Jane Curtin, they they obviously did, definitely didn't want to put them in any kind of risk. So mm. that was all done uh, remotely and and safely yeah. and everything else. But yeah, they were I think very lucky with the timing. But yeah. I, I do find this is something with almost every film this year has this element of just almost pornographic like oh my god look at all those people just <laughs> hanging out not wearing yeah. masks oh my god it's so naughty you know being at a parade being <laughs> in a in a trans modified pumpkin flying in a through crowd the yeah. in a crowd <laughs> yeah i know it wasn't even the pumpkin it was just like the people oh my god yeah seeing the choir at the end as well was quite oh. bittersweet in a way just because obviously you know carol singing 
singing mm. in an amateur choir, all of these things are just things that, you know, singers haven't mm. had this year. And and it was lovely. Even whilst my husband, who came in to watch the last sort of half an hour of the film, was like, her guitar is not mic'd up, and yet we can hear it very clearly, which reminded <laughs> me that when she was busking in the street earlier with Eleanor and her sister, she was also mm. playing the guitar, which we absolutely could not hear. Um, but we could hear the orchestral sweep of the sound mm. of music. So. <laughs> Fair play. I, I don't understand what your problem is. That all sounds totally fine to me. I'll, yeah. I'll refer it all back to Eleanor and her magical speaker system. <laughs> also, I was just going to say on casting, Gillian she, she is it Gillian Shea Spader. I, I think she's maybe done some Disney Channel stuff before. I was trying to yeah. see where she's from, but I thought she was great. Like she plays the daughter, but. Yeah. yeah, she's a, she's apparently huge on TikTok, which um, mm-hmm. I'm certainly too old to know anything about. I don't know about you guys, but um, but yeah, she's a massive, massive TikTok star. So and yeah, her voice I thought was was phenomenal. Yeah. I mean, as is Zoe Deschanel's. It's interesting that apparently that was a late addition to the Elf script. That that singing, well, certainly the singing in the shower scene came about because they realised what an amazing singer she is. If you haven't heard the She and uh, she and Him Christmas album, oh, it's yeah. amazing. And that's what led to that sort of thread uh, coming in. But obviously this one was, I think, more baked around singing from, mm. from day one. And that was always going to be a, a major thing for the, for the daughter. But I really liked that conflict because I thought it was really nice that um, the issue is that the mother is trying to be supportive and caring and loving, but she's not being supportive at the same time and it's it's a really like it's, it's one of these good dilemmas in a film where nobody's being a deliberately stupid person like you see in some rom-coms there's a there's a genuine uh, gap there between what the mum thinks she needs and what she maybe actually does need and I thought that was really well played it works on quite a subtle mm. level as well because yes she's sort of she wants to protect her daughter as well but then also she's obviously you know, really frustrated in her own job. She doesn't have a lot of time. She doesn't have the time that she can devote to her kids because obviously she's got to keep that massive house going and she's got to now keep all the finances going, which is great when her sister can step in. But also just when she's sort of going, you know, oh, you know what happened last time and the time before, Mm. there is also that element of, which is quite non-Hollywood really, about, Mm. you know, just fraying at the edges slightly. And I might Mm. be reading far too much into it, but just that, that sort of fatigue of... I have tried to support you through this before, darling, but it's just a bit annoying when you, you know, mm. when we try and really support you and you still, mm. you know, fluff it at the last minute or whatever. Um, so that was that was quite interesting. Yeah. I was still kind of prepared for mm. the daughter to go full pitch perfect spewing. So I was quite glad that did not happen. <laughs> I suppose that's the sort of Christmas thing as well, right? The perfect parent idea. Because mm. like, obviously it's so much about not being a perfect parent. And I suppose everyone's thrown back in with their families at Christmas, whether the family or fan family but I just I think that's quite cool as well is that I liked seeing it from the different perspective I guess because obviously Elf he's like trying to find his dad and like there's a lot of Christmas movies where obviously it's more like from the kid's perspective or someone trying to reconnect with the parent like um Mm. Happiest Season Happiest Season yeah Mm. yeah like that again but I thought it was interesting putting the POV with Isla Fisher's character just because yeah we don't often get to see the parents perspective which I thought was quite fun yeah, that's yeah. a good point. And I, th- I think you're right about the like parenthood being a real kind of running yeah. issue in a lot of these movies. Like even like Miracle on 34th Street, it's an issue. You know, is yeah. she doing the right thing by telling her daughter that all of this is nonsense? Or is she denying her daughter the magic of Christmas, you know, and the, and the, yeah. the power of belief? And uh, 
And yeah, in, in Elf as well. I mean, you've got James Cann's character who thinks that what his family need him to do is stay at the office and keep his job and, you know, mm. beaver away. And what his son actually wants from him, his younger son, I mean, um, is is for his dad to come home eventually. Mm. And it's all set up for James Cann's character to be like the world's worst dad. We're sort of expecting that because he's on the naughty list. But actually, again, when Buddy comes... Uh, to work with him and when he's at home he's incredibly patient with him mm. he doesn't raise his voice or anything he's <laughs> he's actually really he's a, he's a really good dad um, yeah. which is a really interesting take because you know you're fully expecting him just to be this massive asshat and I mean his wife who appears to just have been written as a saint because she's like oh you've got a random kid good for you this is great absolutely the more the merrier yeah. um, and even when he's behaving like not very nicely at home and sort of taking his meals into his bedroom and everything she doesn't I don't know she sort of is a bit like oh well you know this too shall pass and everything and it's just interesting to see that bit more color and I suppose for me it sort of goes back maybe to this is a wonder to it's a wonderful life but more probably to home alone which is that you have these imperfect family setups Mm. but the end result is pretty much exactly what what both elf and godmothered have as their moral which is that the true love is just the love Mm in a family, however that family comes together. And, mm. it, you know, you can have romantic love and everything, but there is a reason why Elf finishes with mm. Jovi and Buddy and baby Susie sort of going to visit Papa Elf, um, mm. because it's still Buddy humorously sitting on Papa Elf's lap, even though he's much too big and much too old and also <laughs> now a dad. Uh, but that's, that's a really nice sentiment, actually. Yeah, yeah, it is. I hadn't thought of this before. This is all good. Um, <laughs> Tell me this. Talk. Let's talk about magic. Would mm. you prefer to be able to turn pumpkins into modes of transportation, or to be able to make snowballs really, really fast? Can I give the curveball answer? Oh yeah, please. I would take her eyebrow magic. I overpluck <laughs> my eyebrows, and honestly, when I saw the eyebrows, I was like, "Those are good eyebrows." I was like, "I'd be very pleased with that." And the sleeping bag outfit she gave her, I would lie around my house in that. But anyway, yeah, yeah that looks so amazing. So I would definitely take some of her uh, fairy godmother tricks, please. Yeah. I did love the idea of uh, turning a cat into a horse, particularly because (laughs) when in Elf later, I saw those slightly terrifying ring wraith style Central Park horses. I was like, oh, okay. well, normally horses are, you know, quite benevolent and everything. But I had literally just seen Godmothered and the world's angriest cat horse. So I was like, okay, I'm seeing this overlap here now. This this is more familiar. Yeah, I I did worry that a cat horse would not go where you wanted it to go. Like that just seemed, <laughs> it seemed the mo- again one of the more improbable things in the film. Melon turning into a coach, totally fine. Cat horse going where it's intended, nah. <laughs> it doesn't seem likely. Um, but at least she got over her exploding pumpkins phase, so I suppose that's good. Yeah, you can imagine though if like something went wrong in the maybe a very different movie, wouldn't it? If the carriage took off, <laughs> then it just exploded. <laughs> Like, like, I just cut to credits and be like, oh, okay. <laughs> like, that did give a rise to one of the, because um, there are quite a few really sharp lines in, in Godmothered, yeah. I thought. Mm. Um, and there was a very sort of thinking, again, because Pitch Perfect is so in my head, of the, the comment from one of the newsreaders about the sort of great pumpkin field massacre <laughs> and everything <laughs> that's sort of going on. But I, I thought there was some like really 
really lovely lines in this. Like when poor old Eleanor uh, gets wildly carried away with all the free seafood at the football game. My God, I would take up sport more if I knew there was that much free lobster. And um, and Isla Fisher's character is like, who eats that much seafood? And Eleanor just innocently replies, sharks. And I was like, yes, sharks. That's fantastic. I also really love that news reporter. I put in my notes, mm. Kent Brockman energy. I think oh, she does. Yes. Like, because I think she was like, it's probably a military space weapon, but she's kind of into the chaos, which I found yeah. quite funny. <laughs> like, she's she's, she's <laughs> living for the drama, hundred yeah. yeah. <laughs> percent. And you've got and you've got poor Santiago going. Well, no, I'm I'm not hearing that report. And mm. and she well, we'll have more <laughs> when we hear about it. So yeah, <laughs> she's amazing. And pre makeover, there was that lovely line because uh, I hadn't really noticed what Isla Fisher was wearing and except when she was suddenly wearing that magical sort of huge sleeping bag coat at which point <laughs> I was like I, I again I would absolutely buy one of these if Uniqlo made them in like <laughs> 16 extra large or something I like the fact that there wasn't that sort of typical makeover and that mm. Eleanor sort of just goes relax you've made it perfectly obvious you'd prefer to dress as a crow and I was like yes that's that's <laughs> d- deep lockdown energy there except with <laughs> jogging bottoms and no bra for weeks on end um but the idea of it being a happiness makeover mm. and mm. and I suppose just taking that time to put up incredibly elaborate Christmas lights over the house with the help of a you know sentient raccoon named Gary well, I was I, I mean, really enjoyed the way that she just sort of took to that and was just like are raccoons <laughs> always this are they just always like this yeah brilliant I like that they were more distressed about their dog being turned into a piglet which which yeah. I think is fair yeah that that seemed a little <laughs> too far there was that twist at the end where the dog returns and they were like who is the pig <laughs> like, I was like, <laughs> which also led me to many questions but yeah yeah I, I really liked that it was about fairy tales learning from reality rather than the flip, which felt felt like a really cool modern update and like tell on that. And I thought that was, yes. uh, yeah, Carrie Garland and Melissa K. Stack, the screenwriters, I just thought that was a really interesting message. And a, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. That's a really yeah. clever point. Yeah, because I think... Yeah, again, we have a lot of these men. Well, Buddy, of course, is the opposite. He's the kind of fairy tale character teaching cynical New Yorkers how to enjoy <laughs> themselves again. So this is like that is a, uh, an opposite in that way. And I, I hope that June Squibb got to listen to some more music because what again, one of my favorite jokes in the film is her opening line about putting on everyone's favorite pop hit and then playing the Marriage of Figaro, which <laughs> was just like and, and you know, hey guys, opera was the original pop. You know, that was really like <laughs> daring and racy at the time. So totally here for it. Yeah, but uh, but there's a lot to learn for the fairy godmothers in this in this thing. Yeah, and it also takes on the the moral from Frozen, the the idea that true love's kiss doesn't have to be the prince's, mm-hmm. um, because obviously that is something that they they use so that the true love that that Isla Fisher's character, whose name I absolutely cannot for the life of me remember, because I think or Mac. Oh, Mackenzie. That's it. Because every time I look, I just go, "Oh my god, it's Isla Fisher," um, and that sort of supersedes any character she's actually playing, but. So they sort of built on the moral that we had in Frozen like seven years ago about true love's kiss not necessarily having Mm. to be from a prince, which is really nice. Um, But it is also good that they sort of built on that because if it was just sort of re-delivering that again as something Mm. revelatory, Mm. that's not necessarily the case and it would have been nice to build that on. I did love the fact that all of the trainee godmothers are getting on quite a bit um, because I suppose all the fairy godmothers that we've ever seen in Disney have always been sort of in their 80s. Or at least looking mm. as though they are, 
which did make me wonder how how Eleanor managed to get through the door, being as she's, <laughs> what, about 32 or something. Well, they, they did have something about her needing another 60 years or so of training. So maybe she's, you know, on her way. She's in slowly. the Gifted Godmother programme. <laughs> yeah, Xavier School for the Gifted. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped, now streaming only on Hulu. I also love, I do love the the whole idea of somebody being able to wave a wand and have you in a perfectly fitted ball gown. Like, I, I, I will confess, like, I'm enough of a girl that that does appeal. But I also love that they completely turn that upside down with the Isla Fisher Elvis nonsense, yeah. craziness, um, and that actually manages to make her look worse than she did before, which was mm. impressive. It's, a, it's still a beautiful piece of construction as dresses go, but, like, good God. It made her look like the Queen of Hearts. Well, it's like harking back to Disney's first old Cinderella with the Ugly mm. Sisters, because even though every note of those dresses is right, the style of it is also just completely off. Mm. And also, my God, just the the idea of sort of being at a fairly fraught work disco, essentially, and suddenly finding that you were wearing the world's most inappropriate outfit. That's got to be up there with stress <laughs> dreams about being naked in an exam or something, doesn't it? Yeah. That's also something they had as crossover, I felt, was, yeah, like the office culture they touched on slightly. Mm. Like, because when Buddy goes into the office and is meeting everyone, that's definitely like my small talk game. When he's like, oh, your jumper's <laughs> very purpley, very nice. And like, yeah, that felt very real to me. But yeah, I completely mm. agree with the... It was interesting, that, again, I guess it calls back to the fairy tale thing, right? Like, Elf, he kind of feels like he's going into New York, but he kind of finds his place in there. But I liked that she doesn't... Eleanor doesn't she doesn't really find like a space she has to kind of learn and and, and the dress was a big part of that I think because obviously like you said like we've seen it in Cinderella and it's the classic fairy tale moment you know so it was fun yeah putting that into a more realistic setting yeah and and she did get it right at the end for the daughter or so for Jovi so that was that was kind of nice but it's interesting I think if there was one thing that was missing for me in Godmother and I was just watching Elf this afternoon and it really kind of stood out there's a lot of scenes in Elf which are wordless or near wordless and there's those scenes of him running around the um around new york city just accosting people in his fabulous outfit and we know from they've been talking recently about the fact that that is all real life essentially they just put him in costume and sent him out around new york and he actually bumped into a guy with a white beard and a red jogging suit and called him santa and all the rest so it, it had that kind of element of just absurdity from those scenes and sweetness from those scenes and giving it a bit more of a sense of place and maybe 
I would have maybe liked just like a couple of montages or something like that in Godmother just to give you a sense of how out of place Eleanor is in the real world. Because like she's got those lovely little scenes with the truckers and, you know, <laughs> references to the princes around the bonfire in the alley. But like you wanted her to kind of, I don't know, go into a shop or something and try and navigate the real world a bit more. And this is where I wonder whether Disney just went, oh, but Enchanted did that so, so mm. well and true. so extensively. Yeah, because true. also... In, in Enchanted, of course, um, Amy Adams' character is walking around in her dress all the time as well. And it, it just maybe it just sort of felt to them as though that would be too much overlap. My God, that's mm. also making me massively want to go off and watch Enchanted for, I think, the <laughs> 95th time. Yeah. Um, but yeah, absolute, yeah, absolute joy. But they may have just thought eh, too, too much. <laughs> I do think she was trying to sing the Enchanted sort of little trill at the beginning mm. when she was trying to sing. I did really love the fact that both Eleanor and Buddy are very enthusiastic, but not necessarily very good singers. And yeah. <laughs> and also that it just sort of, because I think particularly people who love to sing, but are a bit nervous about how it's going to be received, there's a great perfectionist angle there. And I think there was a great big, but really quite subtly done moral in both films about you know, enthusiasm and enjoyment being so much more important than perfection. Uh, mm. And that whole thing that perfection is the enemy of good or mm. done at all. Whereas, you know, by the end of both films, we've seen, you know, Jovi singing so sweetly and again, mm. without a microphone, carrying surprisingly well <laughs> in a crowd. And um, and then again, the elder sister just having a ball and suddenly seeming to have turned into Selena Gomez and just, you know, absolutely hooking everybody's attention. Um, so, yeah, really fabulous. That's what I liked about the the singing in Godmothered in the Park is that everyone joined in, but they were all equally bad. <laughs> like it, felt, it felt very real to me, which I think mm. was nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. Like Mary Steenburgen, like piping up and yes. really her character, not in that this is not true of Mary Steenburgen, who is a songwriter apart from anything else, but um, uh, her character really not being able to sing, but giving it a go anyway. It's, it's adorable. It's mm. absolutely lovely. And that is um, a Christmas spirit. Oh, central it really is. as well because Christmas caroling like a nobody ever knows any of the other parts apart from like the <laughs> descant or the main line but everybody will suddenly give it a go and be like I can do the alto or I can do the tenor and it's like oh, Bob you absolutely can't this is fine <laughs> but it's just it's again that enthusiasm and that sort of togetherness which is really lovely and I mean that scene at the end of Elf when everybody's sort of singing in the park or singing at home. A, it also acts as a very good reminder that this was filmed in 2003 because all of the televisions that we're seeing are so old, um, which is kind of <laughs> fabulous. But it's just, it's lovely sort of seeing everybody going, even if it's not necessarily about Santa, that just, mm. you know, mm. singing together is a wonderful and really bonding thing. <sighs> twenty twenty. I was going to say like, oh, sorry guys, I'm very cheesy. No, no, please. But please. I was going to say like, that's what love is though, right? It's like, I'm happy to make an idiot of myself with you, which I think is so nice mm. in like both the films. Like they, you know, I think that's kind of what part of getting over the singing fear is, which I thought was really nice. Yeah, yeah singing is a very useful thing in that respect mm. because it's one of those things that people are terrified of performing in public, whether it's singing, yeah. speaking, it doesn't matter, anything in public, people freeze up apparently it's the number one fear for people mm. which kind of slightly blows my mind public speaking is the number one fear so to be able to go up on stage and not just speak but sing 
is extraordinary. And uh, and yeah, you're right. It's a, it's an expression of love to be able to get past your fears and do it anyway um, in both cases. Yeah. Just thinking about it, Christmas movies, because obviously Home Alone, you have, you know, the I think she's this is so bad because I love this film. It's his granddaughter, right, in the choir. Yes, yeah, yeah the little redheaded that, girl. Yeah, yeah, and she sings. And also, I was just thinking, obviously, have yourself a merry little Christmas. Like oh, you know, I think I always feel like it's a bit. I feel a bit empty if there's not a song in a Christmas film, almost, <laughs> or a bit of singing. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, I think it's one of those things that there should be, if possible, in every Christmas film. Um, I, I think it's one of the reasons, I mean, so 2003 is obviously Elf. It's also Bad Santa and Love Actually. That is a hell of a year for Christmas movies. I don't think, I don't think there's been another single year with quite so many bangers in it. Um, but of course, Love Actually also finishes with the big uh, Mariah cover. So it has that going for it. Bad Santa, maybe not so much, but, you know, we'll make allowances. <laughs> I think there's also the element that singing as an activity is also incredibly calming to whoever does it. Um, that like there's a reason why singing is not necessarily prescribed, but why you get dementia choirs and choirs in care homes and I mean choirs for basically every sort of malady or person suffering under the planet, if you like. It's just it is something that sort of lowers your cortisol levels and lowers your stress. And and that's a fantastic thing for Christmas as well, because obviously Christmas itself is a lovely, beautiful and very inspiring day filled with hope. And as much as, you know, London's going into tier four now, that's not going to stop Christmas from happening. But it's all of the other elements around it yeah. that can make it incredibly stressful. And I love that you know, music, whether it's in Home Alone, Carol of the Bells, or, oh, or which obviously is cool. quite a stressful song actually in itself, but it's still beautiful. Um, just by getting these elements of music in there and just having those moments of pause, just to remind you that actually music is a really beautiful, calming thing, mm. as long as you don't have your arm halfway up a turkey trying to fend off <laughs> arm blah from doing something hideous, which to be fair is not a problem for most of us this year. Yeah, well, let's thank the Lord for small mercies at least, I guess. I'm Sam Clements, host of the 90 Minutes or Less Film Festival, another podcast in the Stripped Media family, a podcast that celebrates movies under 90 minutes long. Each episode, I'm joined by a special guest who selects a movie to join our prestigious lineup. Past guests have come from the worlds of film, television, music, food, comedy, and podcasting. Search for us now on the app you're currently listening to this podcast or join us at 90minfilmfest.com. Let's actually sort of discuss the the films now. I'm not going to ask you, Kate, to uh, like rate the film's objective quality because it's not fair as a creator to rank another creator's work. I just feel like that's not right. Um, but we, I, I do think we could probably talk about its levels of Christmasiness because it's no criticism of film to discuss those. So we've been ranking all the films that we've seen according to levels of Christmasiness. How Christmassy do you think these films are? Elf and Godmothered. Okay, so Elf, I would put like pure like complete Christmas <laughs> like full marks and, yeah you know star on top of the tree like it's yep. I, I think that yeah it, but I would also say godmothered it's set around Christmas it's less it doesn't have that kind of department store side of Christmas but I do mm. think the meaning of the film definitely does have that Christmas like spirit to it so I, I would I rank them both quite highly I would say elf just a little bit higher in terms of the Christmas theme just because 
you know, like it's there's there's huge segments in a department store. It captures all that fraught buying toys energy, mm. but also at the same time does have the family message as well. Yeah. And Santa. I mean, it gets points for Santa as well, for sure. Yeah. Um, Kat, how about you? I'm afraid I'm going to have to be a bit stricter on this, largely because <laughs> my Christmas movie quotient this year has been astronomically higher than usual. But going back to our conversation about Die Hard, I think somebody came up with a formula for what makes a Christmas film. And that is, could this film happen at any other time of year? And in the case of Godmothered, I barely noticed that it was set at Christmas. Um, and in fact, they don't really, I mean, there's lots of Christmassy things, but it's not like, oh my God, Jiminy, we're going to have a meeting on Christmas Eve or something like that. Um, it, so, uh, I mean, in terms of watching it as a Christmas film, I would say it makes an excellent wallpaper film in terms of you could wrap your presents and sort of feel sort of quite sort of, you know, oh, this is all getting a bit exciting and not have to pay that close attention to it, but still have a very nice time. But in in terms of is this going into the pantheon of Christmas films, probably not. So I I think this is a a two Christmas bells out of a possible five Christmas bells for me. (laughs) And Elf? Oh God, five, five, five full <laughs> Christmas bells, orchestras, glockenspiels, the whole sleigh bell shebang, absolutely. Um, message of Christmas, it's just, I think actually one of the nicest things that I, again, I'd sort of forgotten till I rewatched it, is a tiny, tiny thing right at the end when there's the little montage about Buddy having Christmas with his family. And he... Emily and Michael sort of present him with this absolutely enormous tub of maple syrup. And he just gives them this huge smile, but also these very gentle hugs, one to each of them. And it's not like, oh my God, guys, it's exactly what I wanted. There's no showmanship there. Mm. It's just really, I love this. This is so kind and thank you. I think it's just that attention to detail that is just Mm. so typical of Elf. And it's just absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, I'm I'm probably a bit more... Christmassy on Godmothered. I would probably give it like a probably three out of five anyway, maybe sort of edging up towards four. Because I think, again, you, like Kate said, the the themes are there and the sort of the heart of it is there. And um, but yeah, it's less concerned with like the deadline of Christmas Day that you get in some of these movies, you know, which is like everything must be solved by midnight or the world will end. Um, it, it doesn't go in for that. But yeah, Elf like could not be Christmassier, like five stars maybe it goes all the way up to 11 so yeah it's uh it's a I mean, lot it's got animated arctic puffins helen what more I do mean, we want and a narwhal so voice by john favreau who actually also voices <laughs> the arctic puffin is there nothing that man cannot do oh what a guy and also the mandalorian oh my god have you seen that thing it's incredible no i haven't helen so no spoilers until i've watched the last no spoilers, episode no spoilers <laughs> Okay, so just me and Kat this time. Uh, objective quality of the two films. I mean, uh, I, I I actually cannot judge the objective quality of Elf. I love it too much. It's a it's a five star classic for me, no questions asked. And like Godmothered, I thought was really really good good storytelling, good heart. You know, I liked it. So four, maybe three, certainly comfortably three. What we call an Empire High 3, Low 4, somewhere in there, I think. How about you? (laughs) Perfect. Um, Elf, an absolute five again. It's just, again, the attention to detail, Helen, is just amazing. (laughs) Um, Again, something I hadn't noticed before, but because I was sitting there with my little notebook, we we didn't even really touch on Peter Dinklage's amazing turn as the world's surliest like most pampered children's celebrity author Miles Finch and his expertise. Um, I love I love it when he and Kyle is it Kyle Gas? 
Yeah, no, Kyle Gass and Andy Richter are sitting around the table talking about possible plots and they're talking about vegetables or fruits or something. <laughs> and Miles Finch is just like, no tomatoes, too vulnerable. And it's like, it's complete nonsense, but it just makes absolute sense. The other detail that that came out to this this time to me uh, out of their work is Amy Sedaris on the phone to her friend mm. going, well, I don't usually declaw kittens, but I'll give it a go. And you're like, <laughs> what, what is happening? What is this woman's life? That's amazing. Incidentally, you do not want to get into conversations about declawing in global Facebook groups about cats. Oh, no. It's very Mm -hmm. big in the States, but obviously it's essentially illegal uh, anywhere else in the world because it's basically removing a bit of bone from a cat. So, yeah, none of that. Um, The more you know. (laughs) the (laughs) The quality thing for Godmothered. Now, I really enjoyed Godmothered, but I really, my expectations for it were astronomically high. I really wanted this to be like my super camp, glorious, mega fun, enchanted replacement. And uh, it, uh, sadly, it just wasn't on that fit, on that level. And I think it sort of gets summed up by a line that happens at the end. So Jane, the elder daughter, has just obviously rushed to her concert and her music teacher says, Jane, thank God you were here. We did not have a plan B. And yes, that's quite funny, but there's lots in the film that is quite funny, but just isn't quite funny enough. And it sort of feels like lots of great lines peppered into something that is just a bit lost. And... I think sort of watching it and Elf quite close together is kind of unfair. So, yes, I enjoyed Godmothered as a sort of, I haven't really slept this week because I have a new dog and I'm sleeping in the kitchen with her, God lover. Hopefully not for the rest of the year because that would be quite exhausting. Um, and yeah, again, lovely, lovely sort of wallpaper film to watch while wrapping your presents. Is it something I'm going to watch every year? Probably not, but I enjoyed it this once. I'll probably watch it again, but you know so I'm, that's, I'm doing. That's probably, I think, I'm, two... I'm doing bad humbug now, so I have to watch everything again. <laughs> you know, so. It's all good. Um, well, listen, that is it. Uh, that is, if you will, a wrap. I'm so sorry. Uh, thank you both so much for being a part of this. Where can people see more from you, Cat? First. Okay, having had the pleasure of guesting twice on Bar Humbug, nobody is going to want to hear any more from me ever again. (laughs) But I will mostly probably be over on Helen's Instagram, liking every single one of the pictures of her Christmas trees, plural, and baubles. Uh, And otherwise, I'm on Twitter, Cat Brown, and Instagram, Cat Brown Writes. Awesome. Kate, how about you? Yeah, so I'm on Instagram on, I think I'm Heron That Kate. because Kate Heron was taken and uh, oh, and tw- yeah uh, I, and Twitter I am I am Kate Heron that one's a bit bit more it's pretty easy point. yeah yeah and people should probably also look out for you around May time ish yeah somewhere. Disney Plus May Loki <laughs> so excited if you haven't seen the sort of sizzle reel trailer that's online oh my god it's amazing check it out so let's let's hope that like Elf will keep our spirits up through the rest of this god-awful year and that 2021 will bring not just new Marvel content uh, but good things for all of us frankly I don't know wherever you are whatever tier you're in I hope you have a happy Christmas or other seasonal cheer and uh, and yeah thanks very much for listening thank you all enjoyed listening to Bar Humbug, 
please give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts because it really helps other people find the show. You can also subscribe so you automatically get the rest of this podcast lined up hassle-free and it's only going to be a limited run up to Christmas. It won't be using up all your data. If you'd like to hear more from me, you can pre-order my book, Women vs. Hollywood, The Fall and Rise of Women in Film, which comes out in February 2021. You can also, of course, find me in Empire Magazine, which is the world's best film magazine for my money. And I'm on the Empire podcast every week and host the podcast, His Darker Materials, to coincide with BBC HBO drama, His Dark Materials. If you'd like to connect with me or comment on the show or have any queries or comments, I'd love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter at Helen L. O'Hara, or you can email producers at stripped.media. And I'd like to thank all the people who have made this podcast happen. Thanks to all the team at Strip Media, including Ben Williams, who edits this podcast, as well as Tom Wally, Dave Corkery, and Kobe Omanaka, who have all helped produce and put this show together. Thanks also to all of my guests who have been absolutely wonderful in giving up their time to watch some Christmas films that are not always 100% great. If you'd like to know more about this podcast and others produced by Strip Media, please visit www.stripped.media to find out more. And that's it. Merry Christmas. You just heard a Stripped Media production. 